You're about to hear a sermon from Han Vision Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, delivered by Joe Song from our study on the Gospel according to Matthew. Thanks for listening to Han Vision. Before we begin, let me tell you a little bit of the context. We've been going through this chapter the last couple of weeks, and Jesus has been uh, kind of, he's been um, in the middle of a conflict with this religious group of people called the Pharisees. So Jesus shows up, he starts teaching this radical new, new message about the kingdom of God. And these Pharisees who were the religious teachers of the time were really upset with Jesus because what Jesus was teaching was not really lining up with what they were teaching. And so they were looking for ways to undermine and to attack and to discredit Jesus and they could not do it. And the latest thing that they were trying to get Jesus to break their traditions about the Sabbath day. And they were watching to see if Jesus would break their traditions. And he does because Jesus doesn't care about people's traditions. He cares about doing God's work. And so they walk into this this synagogue and there's a man who needs healing. His hand is crippled and they're watching to see if Jesus will heal him because if he heals him, he's gonna break their rules. And Jesus doesn't care about their rules, so he just heals them, this man. And then these Pharisees go out to try to conspire to destroy Jesus. So that's where we are. There's a lot of tension in the air when we begin this passage. Verse 15, so Jesus, aware of this, aware that these people were going out to destroy him, they're trying to destroy Jesus, withdrew from there and many followed him and healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. In this passage, the writer of this gospel, Matthew, is trying to convey a message to the people who are reading this, to the original writers of this. Jesus, he responds to the Pharisees who are trying to destroy him in a really interesting way. Jesus just ignores them and kind of runs away. And then he tells everyone around him not to like share what he's doing. He's doing incredible miracles. He's healing the sick and the broken right and left. And then he tells all these people not to tell anybody and to like keep it a secret and not to really like get anyone more upset, which is weird. Like if Jesus is trying to prove to everyone that he's like God and everyone should follow him, shouldn't everyone go around telling them? But Jesus tries to keep it quiet. And the reason why he does that is to fulfill a prophecy from a guy named Isaiah. Now, when you and I hear this, it doesn't really hit us very hard. We're like, okay, I don't care about what Isaiah has to say. That's because you're not a Jew, right? I mean, unless you are, then welcome. I'm glad you're here, right? But most of us in this room didn't grow up with a Jewish background or heritage. And so like when you hear things like a fulfillment of a Jewish prophet from thousands of years ago, you're just like, okay, no big deal. 
right? But to the people who are reading this, the original audience of Matthew, which are Jews from 2000 years ago, this is a huge deal. Let me tell you why this is such a big deal. And then you'll realize what it tells us about God and it should become a big deal to you as well. You see, in Matthew's time, this was 2000 years ago, the Jews are in a pretty broken state. All right. At this point, they are um, kind of disillusioned. They are a shadow of who they used to be as a people. They had a God who promised them all of these incredible promises and none of them have come to pass. Even this passage from Isaiah was a promise that God gave to them that Isaiah wrote down 700 years ago and it has not come to pass. Have you ever waited that long for anything? Right? Like for, for some of us, you wait seven weeks. Like I can't even wait seven days when I order something on Amazon. And if it comes, you, and if it doesn't come in two days, right? Who gets upset? I get upset. I paid for my Prime subscription. Where is my package, right? Seven days feels like a long time for us and we get frustrated. Seven weeks, right? Imagine waiting for seven weeks for anything that was promised. Or seven months, seven years. Has, has anyone waited that long for anything nowadays? Imagine 700 years of a promise from a God that has not come fulfilled, right? At what point do you give up believing? You see, God had made all these amazing promises to this group of people called the Israelites, to the Jewish nation. And in the beginning of their history, it, 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 it seemed like God was answering those promises. If you don't know the history of the Jews, let me take you back to a quick history lesson. You see, in the beginning of their people, it, the Jewish people started with a man called Abraham. And this was a guy, his life, he lived around four, uh, 1400 BC. And he was just this random dude. And for some reason, God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a promise. If you follow me and you have faith in me and leave your family, I'm going to turn you into a nation that's going to be as numerous as the stars. And I'm going to bless you. And everyone is in everyone in the entire world is eventually going to get blessed through you. Now, why did the world need to get blessed through Abraham? Why was God's blessing important? Because the whole world was cursed because of sin. And God's blessing has left the earth. And so God comes to one man and says, I'm going to bless the world through your family. And so Abraham, that's where the story of the Israelites began. So he believed in God and he trusted in that promise that he's going to turn Abraham into a great nation that's going to bless the world. So he's believing in the promise. And eventually God gives him a son when he's 100 years old, which is crazy, which is a miracle in and of itself. And, the, and those people become a, a very, like a huge group of people. And they live in, they go to Egypt and become slaves. You know, some of us know this story. And then in slavery, they cry out to God. They're like, God, what happened? You said we're going to become a great nation, but we're a bunch of slaves. Do something. And this, so God does something. He sends a guy named Moses to bring them out of slavery and God delivers them. And now they're free. They used to be slaves and God saved them. And now they're in the desert. But how can you be a nation without a land? So God says, if you follow me, I'm going to give you a promised land. And in that promised land, if you follow my rules and obey me, you will become my chosen people and you will bless the world. You will be a blessing to all people and the world will come to know me through you. So that's a huge promise. 
And so they, they do that. They follow God. God gives them a land. And then they become a kingdom. And then one of their kings is a guy named King David. He's pretty famous for, you know, killing a, a giant with a sling, right? Some of us knew, know that story. And in, if you have this verse, let's throw that up. In 2 Samuel, God made this promise to this king. The Lord declares, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse uh, 11, it says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up an offspring to succeed you who will come from your, body, your own body and I will establish his kingdom and he will be the one to build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and I will be his father and he will be my son. So the promise of God now says to David, now your kingdom out of one of your descendants, I will create a kingdom that will never ever end. It will last forever. And through your kingdom, the whole world will come to know me. So the, the promise of God for this little group of people called the Israelites keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it starts to happen. King David has a son named Solomon. And then Solomon is so wise and so successful. He, be, he gathers wealth and power for the nation of Israel like Never before. All the nations around Israel start to go to Israel and are astounded by its power and influence. Solomon then builds this incredible temple where people come and they look at this temple and they give glory to God because they're like, wow, God must be real because this temple is incredible. And so it seems like God's promises are being filled. But then something, if you know the history of the Old Testament, starts to change. The people of God start to fall away. And the kingdom of God the Israelite kingdom gets ripped in half and they start to fight in their civil war. And then for the next two to 300 years, there's nothing but fighting and disobedience and the kingdom of God starts to decline and the people of God starts to become weaker and more evil. And by the, in, a, in about 300 years, the kingdom collapses. The Assyrian empire comes and takes the Northern part away. And then the Babylonians come and take the Southern. And then all of the people of God are scattered. The kingdom is destroyed. The city of Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is gone. And now there is no people. Everyone is scattered. Everyone is dismayed. And then a guy named Isaiah comes and says, starts to talk about a Messiah that's going to rise up out of David's line that will eventually restore everything and fix everything and save everyone and bring a kingdom that will last forever and ever. We just have to wait for him. And that was 700 years ago. And so the Israelites have been waiting and waiting and waiting. They're waiting and then the Babylonians fall and they're like, all right, the Babylonians are gone. Finally, is this gonna happen? And then the Persians come and take over. They're like, oh crap, right? And so they're waiting and the Persians are ruling over them. And then the Persians fall. They're like, yeah, the Persians are gone. Now is the time where God's gonna, and then the Greeks come and take over. And then after the Greeks, they fall and then the Romans come. And now it's been hundreds of years. And now their hope and the promises of God, they look around and all they see are nothing but broken, unfulfilled promises. This is where they're at. That's why when Matthew says, Jesus is doing these things to fulfill the promises that God made to us hundreds of years ago. All the promises that God wrote to our people, every single one, Jesus is going to fulfill. That 
is not just a word for the Israelites from 2,000 years ago, but that's a word for every single one of us because God is a God who will fulfill every promise that he makes. He, you might even forget his promises. You might lose hope in his promises. You might even forget what they are, but guess who does not forget his promises? God, he does not forget the promises that he made through his word and to you. For some of you, you don't even know what his promises are because maybe you've never read the promises that are written in this book. But let me tell you, you have desires that are in your heart that are deeper than you can ever describe. There are longings in your heart that you know that nothing in this world can satisfy. And trust me, you've looked and you've tried and you've searched and some of you are still searching for something to fill these endless desires that seem to never be satisfied. Let me tell you, those desires are unwritten promises that there is something that exists that will ultimately satisfy every part of who you are. There's a desire to belong somewhere and no matter who you try to go belong to, it never seems to be enough. There's a desire in your heart to be loved and no matter where you go looking to be loved, it's never enough. These are unwritten promises that God has created in our hearts because the promise is that those you have been created to find those things. And it is, it can be found in Jesus. Just like Jesus came to fulfill the prophecies and the promises written hundreds of years ago to these people, Jesus has come to fulfill the written and unwritten promises of our lives. And some of you, those promises were told to you when you were young, maybe for some of you guys accepted, you guys became Christians or believers or you were on fire for God a long time ago and you had these promises of God and you believed in them then, but then over time, maybe over years or over months and things have happened in your life and hard times came and you stopped believing or you forgot, you stopped hoping and praying and searching for these promises that God has said that he will fulfill through Jesus. Jesus is here. He has not forgotten and he will fulfill. That is just who our God is. So even if you don't know a single promise of God written in scripture, all the promises and the longings of your heart, there is an answer for those longings. And they can be found through Jesus Christ in God. And so there he is, the fulfillment. And how does Jesus come to fulfill the promises of God for the people of Israel? It says, behold, my servant whom I have chosen. He will not quarrel or cry out. A bruised reed, he will not break. A smoldering wick, he will not quench. Jesus came to fulfill promises and to bring hope to a broken people. He didn't come to destroy or to break or to bring judgment. He came to love and to heal those who are broken and those who are about to die. And the imagery he gives us is a broken reed, a bruised reed. It's like a weak plant that is, that is bent and just like about to die. What do you do with a reed that's broken and withered? You take it and you throw it away. It's not good for anything. But Jesus didn't come even to break someone who's broken. 
a smoldering wick. Back then they would take a torch or a candle and they would make it out of linen cloth and they would light it on fire. And as soon as that fire goes out, it would start to start to smolder and there'd be no more fire and it'd just be smoke. And what do you do with that? You throw it away and you get a new one. And that's some of us. Once you were on fire for God, once you had faith and because of life or whatever, or that fire has gone out and now you're just like, just like a smoldering wick left. Let me tell you, Jesus is here not to snuff out or to get rid of you. He has come to heal you, to renew the fire and the faith that you once had today. For some of you, you're a bruised reed. You've been hurt by this world or maybe even by church or by other Christians or by just things that have happened in your life and you're hurt and you're broken and you're just like, God, I can't go to God. I'm useless. The things that I've done, I'm messed up. And Jesus has not come to break you. He has come to proclaim justice over you. He has come to bring victory and hope. Look what it says. In verse 18, it says, he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And then look at verse 20. It says, until he brings justice and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Do you know who Gentiles are? Gentiles are people who should not belong to God. These are people who are not outside of God's people. The Israelites were God's people and then everyone else who was not considered a part of God's people were called the Gentiles. So what that's saying is Jesus came to proclaim justice and hope to those who are not considered part of God's people. If you consider yourself as someone who is outside of God's people because of what you've done in your life or you never felt like you belong to God, then God is telling you that's why Jesus came. He came for you. He came for us who did not deserve to belong to the people of God. And he came to proclaim justice over you. What does it mean? I bet you didn't even know you needed justice. You know what justice means? It means making right something that is wrong. That's what justice is in the simplest of ways. And let me tell you, we need justice because every single one of us are not right before God. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the standards of God. Therefore, we do not deserve to be in relationship with God. And if you think, I don't know, I think I'm pretty good. Do you even live up to your own standards? Most of us, we have standards for other people, but guess what? We fall short of even our own standards. We fall very short from the perfection and the standards of God. And therefore, before God, we are not right. But guess what? Jesus came to proclaim justice before you. He came to say, I know you're not right before God, but I'm going to tell you, you can be. And I'm going to proclaim that you are because I came to make you right before God. Because I died for you. Jesus came to die for you and to take your sins and to pay for your crimes so that you no longer owe God any punishment so that there is nothing between you and God anymore. Jesus took that all onto himself by dying for you on the cross so that now you are just before God. There is justice between you and God and you are righteous. And he has come to proclaim that over you. 
today. So for all of us, some of us in this room who have lost sight or lost hope in the promises of God, let him restore those promises today. Start to hope in Jesus again today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Every promise that God has ever made will find their fulfillment, their yes in Jesus. Every promise. That means every promise written in scripture. That means in Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, God who began a good work in you will continue and perfect it until the day of Jesus. For some of you, you became Christians when you were young and now you fell away and you think you're done. God will perfect what he started in you. Amen? Romans chapter 8, verse 38 says, Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Not angels, not demons, not no height, nor depth, nor any powers in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. That is a promise that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. You think you've done something to separate yourself from God? No. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. There is no sin that is too big that God's mercy cannot cover, that his blood, that his death on the cross did not pay for. That's a promise from God. Anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Do you not realize that some of you forgotten the promise that if you are in Jesus, you are brand new. You, the old parts of you, the old insecurities, the old anxieties, the old guilt, the old shame, it's all gone. And we are new in him. The promise that Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. What that means is your old self, all of your sins, all the things have been crucified. They're dead on the cross and they're gone and now they are not you anymore. The life that you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and died for you. That is the promise that comes through Jesus. And that promise is not just for a couple really religious people. That promise is for the Gentiles. It's for anyone who should not belong to God. But Jesus is declaring that, yes, you do. So come to me, all who feel unworthy, and I will make you worthy today. And then you know what? The crazy thing is, if you can put up verse 18, then this is what God now calls you. This is what God calls Jesus, and now this is what God calls you if you give your life to him. He says, behold my servant whom I have chosen. Did you know he's, God is talking about his son Jesus, but then when you receive Jesus, now he's talking about you because we receive his life and his life becomes our life. We exchange our sins to Jesus and now his identity becomes ours. So guess what? God calls you his servant whom he chooses. God has chosen you my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. So many of you today, you don't feel like God is pleased with you because you're not perfect or you messed up last week or you suck at this or you're still dealing with that or you still have all of these things or you don't desire God enough or you don't pray enough or you haven't re read your Bible enough and you don't like worship hard enough. You think that God is not pleased with you, but God will be pleased with you if you can get your act together. No, God is pleased with you right now. 
right now. This is how he feels about you. Not because of what you've done, but because what Jesus did for you. And you are his child. You are his son and you are his daughter. And whatever you offer to God, he, is, he loves it. If you go to my house and you walk in my front door and you turn to the right, you will see a wall with a bunch of clipboards. And on those clipboards is a bunch of, of, of artwork, okay? It's just a bunch of scribbles on, 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 on paper. And to most of you, you're, you're gonna be like, wow, that's, that just looks like garbage, okay? But to me and to Grace, when we see that, we are so pleased. Because that our, our two-year-old and our one-and-a-half-year-old scribbled all over pieces of paper, and then they gave it to us. And when we see that, we see, you know, like a coloring book, and it's just scribbled like crazy. We are so pleased. We're like, oh, so good, <laughs> right? I'm, good job, my son, you know, my daughter, right? And it looks like it's terrible <laughs> to most of you, but because... Our children did that and they did it for us. It doesn't matter the quality. It just matters that, is, that they did it and they gave it to us. And it is like so precious in our eyes. That's how God sees our life and our worship when it's for him. Yeah, you might not be able to color in the lines. Your life might be all messed up. And you're like turning one way and you don't know what you're doing and you try this and you're failing at that and you keep sinning here and you, but then you try to be like, oh, I, I messed up again, God. I don't know what I'm doing, God. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And we're just, you know, praying and we're trying, we're doing these things and we fall and we get up and we just keep messing up and we just don't know what we're doing and our life is just this scribble on, on all over the place. You know, you look at someone who looks like a really good Christian and they look like they got their all lives together and they're coloring in the lines and their lives look so perfect. You're like, oh God, if my life was like that, then you would be pleased with me, but God is just like, just give me what you got. And I love it because it's you. And because you're my daughter, you're my son. And what you got is what pleases me. So some of us this morning, we just need to, like David said, just give him your life, your mess, your weakness. Just give it to him and give it to Jesus And he will be pleased. He is pleased when we give our lives to him through Christ. And there we will find the fulfillment of every promise. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Han Vision Podcast. We hope you are blessed. Join us next week on Han Vision.